0: there, that's where you start going back to a product focus and you let the product tell you everything. Because I don't know if y'all have probably heard of it, but there, when you're getting into quality and analyzing things like Six Sigma, there's a man named, uh, gosh, I think I have his, his last name Shannon. And one of the things that Shannon, you know, I'm talking about the Shannon techniques, but he says, talk to the product. And to me, the way I looked at Lean was talk to the product, let the product tell you what's going on, and then you can identify what you need to do.
1: To a quality podcast. We are happy to have Sean Fields with us today. Sean Fields is a lean practitioner and the author of Quantum Lean, a great book that I recently wrapped up. Can't wait to talk a little bit about it. And in keeping with Quantum Lean, we will be talking about really translating lean to individual environments. You know, how do you do it? And that seems like that's a gap for a lot of folks. So, Sean. Why don't you introduce yourself to YouTube land and uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, my background, uh, you know, I went to school, I, you know, got schooled in industrial engineering and when I got out, you know, into industry, I, I kind of did conventional industrial engineering and, uh, you know, I've worked in different industries. I've worked in mass production. I've worked in custom environments. I've uh, also, you know, worked in like really, very mass production like environments like food processing, as well. And when I talk about custom environments, primarily like uh, machine shops, you know, that pretty much you don't make more than 30 of anything. And, you know, the other thing is uh, about 20 years ago, I started getting into lean. And the thing that I found when I was doing it is that it was very much explained from a mass production viewpoint. And the, and a lot of times people had a lot of difficulty translating those ideas into a practical and practicable way to apply lean in their custom situation. And, you know, you saw stuff like value stream mapping, which, I mean, I'm going to try to be nice about it, but uh, value stream mapping just doesn't speak to me at all. Like, like for me, it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of like, it's kind of like cave, it's kind of like cave pictures, you know, that's all I can say mm-hmm. about it. I mean, who cares? And so, you know, I, I kind of was going, man, this just doesn't work. And so, you know, over time, uh, my, my partner, Michael and I, uh, Michael Sanders, we, we kind of, you know, we worked on really developing and refining a system that would, you know, that we thought would give people a good bridge to actually apply the essence of lean in a way. That's just much more direct and, and to the point. And, and I, I feel like we've got that and we've really validated it over, you know, like Basically, 20 years and kept refining it based on that. So, yeah, I love Well, that. if you couldn't
2: tell, if you couldn't tell, we are both very much anti value stream <laughs> mappers. Yeah, no, I whatever. have n- never ran into a case where that actually changed something or provided clarity to what's going on within a facility. And maybe because I haven't been in enough boardrooms, but everywhere I've ever seen it used, it's like, Couldn't we have just simply done the most basic process map ever and highlighted the exact same story without it looking like engineering hieroglyphics? Well said.
0: Well well, no, I know I appreciate that. No, believe me, you're you're preaching back to the choir, that's for sure. Because in, in my opinion, it's kind of like in in my opinion, it muddied the water far more than clarified it. Because in like in the in the situation that inspired the book, the particular situation is that I was just going, really, all it's showing, it it really doesn't show anything. It just shows it, it showed some inventory, some work in process inventory, but that was about it. It really didn't identify genuine waste. And like I was just going, okay, something's got to be different. And from there, that's where you start going back to a product focus and you let the product tell you everything. Because I don't know, if y'all have probably heard of it, but there, when you're getting into quality and analyzing things like Six Sigma, there's a man named, uh, gosh, I think I have his, his last name's Shannon. And one of the things that Shannon, you know, I'm talking about the Shannon techniques, but he says talk to the product. And to mm-hmm. me, the way I looked at lean was talk to the product, let the product tell you what's going on, and then you can identify what you need to do. You know, that's a.
1: Well, another aspect I think that um, really makes quantum lean valuable, something that kind of stood out to me. Um, there are a few lean companies that I work for, uh, mm-hmm. the majority, you know, well over ninety percent, they are not lean. Yeah, um, they're using lean language and some lean tools, mm-hmm. but lean is fundamentally about shortening the demand to cash cycle by eliminating waste in the value creation process. And if you have a board of directors that is interested in that, mm-hmm. um, then a value stream map can be used for the higher business functions and people to see. The outside the factory parts, Uh right? The inside the factory, you could use all your tools, but you know where's the information flow? Like when does the money get into the bank account? Um, And so that that tool is um, you know really misapplied in most cases. Um, It has limited usefulness, um, and it's not really designed to map out the uh, processes and help with improving the processes internally. It's a big picture yeah. view for a big picture audience. But for all of the people that, you know, work in companies that aren't really lean companies, there has to be a way to basically initiate continuous improvement using lean tools and really industry best practices, right? right. Uh, that doesn't require moving mountains, right? And right. Basically, letting the product talk is a great way to do that. That's yeah. something that you typically have control over at your mm-hmm. site level right. um, that your team can actually work with and that you can justify and, and marshal yeah. resources for, right? Mm-hmm. If you're right. talking about billing cycles and stuff like that, good luck, right? right. You're not going to get support there.
0: No, right. Well, see, to me, uh, like, and I, I see what you're saying about value stream maps, but i I liken it to uh You know, and the one reason I bring Shannon up is when people are trying to analyze and troubleshoot why there's a product quality problem, a tool that's often used is a fishbone diagram. And I figure most of the audience is familiar with that, but I've always considered it kind of insane to use a fishbone diagram to try to analyze quality problems. I mean, maybe if you're reduced to rank speculation, sure. But if you can actually talk to the product, I think that makes a whole lot more sense. And I look at a value stream map in a lot the same way, and that you're introduced to your to me when you troubleshoot what you're trying to do is narrow down things not expand and to me a yep. fishbone in most cases expands and to me a value stream map expands and to me, any troubleshooting tool should be trying to narrow. And so that that's part of the quantum lean idea is the, the flow charting method is all about a narrowing function and a sifting function so that you can get to the brass tacks as quickly as possible. That, that's really what it's about. You
2: know? Yeah, the fishbone, I've always had great experience with if I'm facilitating a group. Yeah. And just trying to have a diagram for them to share their ideas and showcase it in a logical manner. It yeah. makes all the sense in the world, but it's not the tool I whip out to solve a problem. Like yeah. It is literally just a facilitation device. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Well, to me, yeah, exactly. And ironically, in the book Quantum Lean, a fishbone diagram is used, but it's it's used in a in a situation where you actually do have to speculate, like when you're trying to you know plan a process, that kind of thing. I think it's a good tool, and I used it in this in a in a sense to illustrate why Lean could go astray. And so there is a little bit of speculation since it's not a specific instance. But but to me, it's kind of like let's say if your car battery goes dead. You know, you need to, you need to really examine the car, you know, and, and do some investigation there. You don't like, like whip out a chart, like you say, and start investigating all these potential reasons, right. the battery could right. be dead, you know? Right. So,
1: yeah, no, it's a, it's a great call out in, but I think it highlights the difference between taking action and getting things done, which, yeah. you know, is obviously close to our hearts. I, mean, I named my consulting firm Zoom operational mm-hmm. excellence when right now, you know, and mm-hmm. in the future. Um, it's the, the title of my book in the title of my book as well. <laughs> you know, like you have to be able to take action right now, especially in today's modern business world. Right, um, right. If now on the other side of the fence or something, um, you have these uh, tools and ideas that have been made famous and you have people that confuse, I think, um, operational excellence with tools and methodologies and it's like the finger pointing to the moon analogy. Um, it, you know, there's folks that learn tools and they, they think that by using these tools uh, they can get something done or improve, um, but it's not, it's the theory. Uh-huh. And the theory can be applied many different ways. The tools just happen to be like free and available online. Uh, some of them in the right context are very effective some yeah. of them aren't you know it right. reminds me of the obd2 scanner or port on your car you know yeah. you get that check engine light and you plug up your reader to that obd2 port and it gives you a code uh-huh. well what that code means is dependent on a lot of factors yeah. uh, for example a ford focus st will throw off the same code as a ford f350 diesel on the diesel it means that a glow plug is bad and on the sts do with the uh, valve variable valve timing position sensor with yeah because it's you know a simple computer that's communicating in binary right right two different cars two different contexts exact same signal means two different things highly analogous to operations management right and so know i try to help people in companies understand like the theory behind what they're trying to do and then they can sort of break right through to a solution you know more quickly and that's what really um what i really found attractive about quantum lean coming through it was this is like a main this is like a how-to manual like it it's actually about how to do it not here's the history of lean not here's how toyota does it Not, you know, here's how you should be doing it. It's okay, let's get started. Here's a framework to actually be successful in your lean implementation.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of funny. uh, Like there's, there's a point that you brought up that I like it's, and I'm, I, I, feel a little bit proud of this, but it it always got on my nerves when you read lean books that they talk about, Oh, we're going from craft to mass production and you're just going, who cares? You know, it's kind of like if I'm trying, if my battery's dead, I don't want an explanation about the theory of electromagnetism. I want to fix, I want to, I want to either, you know, make sure my alternator and charging systems working or replace my battery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, people aren't in the mood for that crap. At least I I don't know. (laughs) Can you
2: imagine if there's scientists, like LinkedIn just comes to mind, and every time we mention anything, they chime in, well, Einstein said it this way.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's plenty of that. There's no doubt there. Well, you've seen that. There's plenty of that, like, oh, you're just not doing lean in the exact right way. And really, it's and that's and actually when the book was written. Uh, I actually gained an appreciation like I actually was guilty many years ago of talking about something being truly lean or not truly lean. but actually I kind of I kind of just dropped that because I started to realize it, as much as I don't completely agree with everything like Jim Walmack does to his credit, he coined the term or the least, you know, there's a guy maybe a little bit ahead of him that coined the term. And so it's, it's not my right to say what is or isn't lean, but I will say what I think makes the most sense and what I think will get you where you want to go quicker. And am but I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of into the orthodoxy. So kind of like you're saying, someone saying Einstein said it exactly this way, and you're getting an A or an and, or a you're not dotting an I or crossing a T. And, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of like, Uh, I will talk about lean, what I think lean's essence is, but I'm not going to be, you know, kind of a a police on that, you know,
1: one of the things that I can continuously encourage individuals, like individual managers and companies Uh with is come to terms with reality as quickly as possible, Uh like don't live in fantasy land, come to terms with reality. And that will give you a basis for creating change. In your organization, right? Um, and some companies are not lean, and they're really yeah. damn good at what they do. Yeah. But like they need an avenue for continuous improvement and operational excellence um, that fits their company. But even in this sort of group, if you wanted to have this group of like lean companies, you know, even within those companies, there's infinite variation in culture personality individuals customers sales channel corporate structure finance all of that and you have to address the world like where it's really at you have to improve the real world yeah not okay you know time out okay we're not doing this right let's tear apart the whole company and start from scratch so that we look like wire mold or whatever right i mean that's Imminently impractical, right? Right. Um, yeah. So, but we we see that you know not really. I don't really think we see that from people who are actually in the business, who are actually helping companies win or anything. But but you'll hear that kind of orthodoxy, you know, like you uh, mentioned. Um, so let's let's talk about the other side of the fence, which is where we like to play, which is you know helping companies be excellent and improve. I don't want you to give the book away because. Right. I think people should buy it. It's a great book. Um, Thank you. But why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, about what's in there? Kind of whet some appetites.
0: In the first six to seven chapters, the uh, the ideas behind quantum lean are explained. The framework. I, I consider it a pretty easy read. It's nothing that I consider very taxing. And the rest of the chapters I consider kind of optional in that they deal with specific situations and how you might deal with that from a quantum lean angle. Because there's there one subject that's near and dear to my heart because I see it continually is scheduling. It, like production, the thing that I see 99 times out of 100 is production scheduling is atrocious. And it creates and compounds myriad lean problems and if and to me you've got these companies they'll be doing 5s to the nines and you know and then you know what will end up happening is like i say they do 5s to the nines but their scheduling creates all kinds of like whip delays cannibalizing and so on and they can't get anything out in less than a billion years and the book kind of goes into a lot of basic scheduling ideas that you know will uh that will actually Maybe address about eighty percent of your lean problems. You know, there's a lot of detail to take care of beyond that. But I just want to initiate a discussion where the scheduling can actually help quite a bit. And so that's the, you know, that's, and that's the the idea. So there's maybe six to seven chapters that are very general, but they explain a framework where you can then bridge lean to your operation. And then there are a bunch of additional chapters that allow you that really zero in on some specifics where it then gives you some guidance on applying it to your environment, you know? And so,
1: yeah, that, that chapter really um, spoke to me because yeah, uh, I've had the exact same experience. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that's like always the the burr under the saddle. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, last week um, I did like a series of here's some books that have helped me. And mm-hmm. one of them was scheduling. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. I actually saw Yeah. I saw that. I saw that for sure. It,
1: yeah. Because, I mean, it has been a huge help to me because uh-huh. with manufacturing and healthcare, those uh-huh. are the two things that bite you in the ass all the time, right? Right. Um, so when I saw that uh, chapter in quantum lean, uh, it really jumped out at me. And I was like, okay, you know, this is a guy that I want to have a conversation with because um, he, he's obviously in it and doing it, you know, yeah. he gets it. Um, and it looks like we've got Michael on, Dr. Mike. Yes. We're glad you can uh, join us. It looks like you've got a little shaky... Uh, connection there, but we're so glad you could join us.
3: Well, thank you very much. I apologize for being late. I've been out. I got my son from university. So we were out and, uh, and uh, I kind of missed this. My apologies. But I'm driving and you all are coming in very clearly. I hear you all very well. And uh, please go on. And if you have any questions for me, I'm happy to answer.
1: Oh, thanks so much. And, and it looks like are you driving a coupe? What, what are you driving there?
3: Uh, this
1: is, uh, this is a, a <laughs> oh okay i'm a card nut so we'll we'll talk about that more later
0: yeah, um, yeah i, I could, when you were bringing up obd-2 i kind of realized that yeah you know, <laughs> you know yeah, uh, i was, the, was uh, trying to
2: stay awake during that part but uh, well, yeah, yeah he yeah, likes yeah. doing that
0: <laughs> right right but like uh yeah but me uh, th- i'd say maybe you know two percent of the population knows about obd-1 and obd-2 <laughs> and that kind of thing so that's a
1: yeah, well, uh, we all have our hobbies. Um, mine just happen to, to involve things that are loud and fast. So, <laughs> oh, <have> say? <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, that's a. I'm talking about cars, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but I, I can sure. certainly, I, I, I can imagine other, I can imagine other things that might you know, fit that category. So,
1: right on, good deal. Well, um, we're thrilled to have you on the program because as. Um, You know, my, my presence online is mostly marketing for my business. Um, I try to create real value for people and, you know, I try to interact meaningfully with posts and there's just a handful of folks out there that, um, you know, I, I feel like they're creating real value and you're definitely in that group. Um, I think for those of us that have sort of done the work and played the game, you know, you can just, you can sense somebody else that's, um, kind of a real practitioner that gets things done. Yeah. Um actions and uh, actions speak louder than words and all of that, you know, um, so I was really looking forward to uh, the conversation. Um I was hoping you could share with us and with the audience you know, what are some common challenges or pitfalls you see uh, as you help companies?
0: Yeah well, and, and uh yeah and I'm sure yeah, Michael would second this. Uh, From my angle, really, uh, the technical problems don't really bother me that much. I feel like, especially with the quantum lean framework and some experience, you can analyze problems pretty accurately. The thing, the big challenge is like getting people to align and getting people to agree. And you always have all kinds of issues, you know, political, uh, you know really, yeah, I'll just say political. There's a famous cliche that the soft side of the business is the hard side of the business. And so that's, you know, something that Michael and I and some others, like, you know, we have an organization, we have a nonprofit organization where we work with companies on these very issues. But I'd say that's always our biggest challenge really is dealing on the people side of the issue. And the good news is, is that whenever we introduce quantum lean to people, they actually grasp it and and embrace it, you know, quite a bit, but you get into different, you know, I don't like to bring up culture too much, but you do get these cultural issues where, you know, people may not feel, you know, may not feel urgency or they're, you know, or the thing about it is that you may have people, they want to take it, you know, they may want to get, like, if I were going to give an analogy to sports, they may want to be playing at a college level and they don't want to play at a pro level. And so, you know, you have to weigh out uh, like, you know, if, if we think it's, it's you know, we can make significant process, progress getting to a college level, then let's go for a college level. But, you know, sometimes people just don't want to play high school ball and they don't even want to get to college. And so you have to decide whether you want to continue to engage with that person or not, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah.
2: So that's the inspiration for the brand as Jay Carroll, the funniest lean guy, uh-huh. is because I was very, very good at coming up with complicated innovative solutions that either made a bunch of money or saved a bunch of time but i found very quickly that people don't care like people generally they couldn't give a shit on any of that yeah. but if i engage a bunch of humans first and i make a circle yeah. then my rate of acceptance is like 100 wherever i grow that circle in whatever direction
0: right, oh. right no no exactly but you know and i'm sure y'all y'all been there done that but occasionally you run into somebody they talk a good talk And, you know, you, and you see some markers where they're going to actually do a good, you know, you think it's going to work out real well, but you realize kind of into it a certain distance, they really don't want to, to really do very much that would actually modify what, you know, their situation and actually get it better. And so that, you know, you get to that fork in the road where you decide, uh, you know, you kind of have to communicate with them and decide, you know, what you want to do at that point
3: let me see if i can add a couple of things to that obviously sean just uh uh, hit it on the nail it makes perfect sense practically as well but there are a few other things that we need to consider i think uh the size of the company is important to consider how long it's been in business it's important very very important to consider
2: particularly
3: if it's a small business and uh privately owned they have been in business over 10 20 years are looking at very thick culture that was initiated and carried out and currently existent through ownership. And uh, here we are, we are trying to get in there, trying to break 20 plus years of thick barrier. And it's very difficult for anyone to accept it. It's very, very difficult. I've run my own businesses. I know particularly the manufacturing sector, I had very difficulty when anybody wanted to come on and join and help me to do anything because you build a process, you build a culture, you have methodology of doing things. And given time, years after years, your employees get used to that. That becomes so thick, very difficult to change. And here we are, we go there and we say, look, we have quantum lean. It's going to make sense to you. So the first thing is you need to make sure, absolute sure, that the leadership, in this case, the ownership, and if it's a large company, obviously, the leadership uh, understands what you're talking about. They have to understand it. They have to internalize it. If they don't do that, there is no hope of going forward. There have been a lot of attempts by practitioners in these types of activities. A majority of them really don't go far. That's why it creates pretty bad names among many other new companies who might be considering lean transformation. A part of the book that really talks about practicality, we say it's a kind of a recipe. If you really follow the details, it's going to be much easier. Our approach has always been on the at the top, has always been the easier you make it, the better it is going to be, the better chance of you succeeding. And everything becomes uh, really, really transparent. So here you are, come into a river that's flowing very harshly, you're trying to put some angle to it. No matter how much power you have, if you don't change the direction of that river, you'll never be able to have a dent on it. And that means the leadership has to understand what you're talking about and agree to what you're saying and then commit to it. Not just support you, but absolutely commit to it you're going to be short-lived and that's going to create bad environment for the rest of us uh, who claim to do these improvement initiatives. And then we're going to be facing with a lot of bad reputation that, oh, we tried or our friends tried or our uh, competitors tried. It didn't go far. So we try to be fundamental at the same time, close the circle. We believe that uh, simplicity becomes critical. And the only way you can look at any production system, whether it is service or manufacturing industry, you have to, the simplest thing that you see moves through, the, through that system. And the only thing really truly moves through the system from the inception, all the way it's delivered is a product. That's the only thing moves, nothing else. Everything is stable. Everything is, stands there, tries to support and serve that product that moves through. And if you really seriously think about what can I do, that's the sole focus you should have. And unfortunately, 99% of the folks that I know have been in this business for 35 years. And there's a lot of people I know from automotive industry to food industry all over the world. All they're obsessed with is resources. Let's go after this and cut costs and try to reduce some costs here and there. Let's see if we can reduce four people working on that line to make it three people working on that line. They're all obsessed with resources. And then you go to an owner or to a leadership and you tell them, we're trying to get your system be really great. However, uh, the way we are gonna do this, we're not gonna worry about your resources first, right there, they're gonna kick you out because that's all they know. So you have to have a way of uh, getting entry into their Zen. And this book has the best method of offering. That's one of the proud things that we did. I don't know how much of my uh, uh, input is making sense to you all, but I think all of us have sensed and have experienced how difficult it is to carry a good improvement project within the complete circle. And cultural or technical issues are going to be having a chance to success if the leadership understands and agrees and commits to it. Do you all agree to that?
1: Yeah, that's a great word, Michael. We really appreciate it. And maybe I'll just recap for our listeners. Uh, Michael mentioned three things. One is the right leadership. So, you know, many companies have just struggled because they might have people in the middle of the organization with the title of director of continuous improvement or what have you, but where the companies run, they're not bought in. and. If they're going to continue making decisions and steering the company this way, you really aren't going to get results going this way, right? Second, the, I guess, uh, paradigm or perspective as you're pursuing improvement within your company, the basis of quantum lean is take the view of the product, right? The product is the only thing that moves all the way through the process, right? Um, And that's kind of in contrast to classical management theory and where so many companies are today, where we're just focused on resources. How can I save money? How can I save time? How can I max min, all of that, um, God, what was that horrible math that we all had to take in engineering school, Um, uh, the the minimum
0: and maximum? Well, calculus, sir calculus yeah like those, uh, yeah.
1: constrained optimization type of stuff oh yeah. Op,
0: yeah operate well operations research also yeah yeah that's yeah. A, yeah
1: um fun fun uh, set the derivative to zero <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or fun yeah. fun time um so yeah like so many classes even in school just centered on that yeah. right yeah um so really appreciate that and then the final point that uh, i think you were making michael was a shared structure one thing that quantum lean does is it provides a structure that everyone can follow like a recipe and get good results. And I'm a big uh, supporter of structure and the social contract at work uh, because I've worked with companies that didn't have that. And without an agreed upon structure, you end up with uh, humans being humans. Now there's a big surprise, right? One thing that I've experienced quite a bit is people are looking for validation. They're looking to be uh, important and recognized um, more than we deserve. I'm sure I've been that guy in the past. I may be that guy in the future. Um, But what is it? You know, how does it go? Like 75% of Americans are above average or something like that. Um, And so when there's not a structure, um, we put our ideas forward, but we are actually looking for people to say, Jake, you are fucking brilliant. I can't believe that you came up with that idea. I think that's brand new in the history of the world. Congratulations. I'm in awe of you. And if we I'm said- s- that, I'm snipping that on a loop for me to go to sleep with. That is going to be yeah. all over the internet, right? Yeah. 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 But if we said that and then didn't do anything with the idea, most people would be happy like for three months, they'd be blogging that. They're not gonna believe what my boss said about it. That's what they're really looking for because we're people and we do people's stuff and we are looking for validation. And so without a structure, we end up pulling against each other and everybody wants to go their own way and have their own ideas. And they wanna win so that everyone can recognize how awesome they are and their system is. Um, And and, I've had to work with that a few times. It's a challenge. not surprising, you know, we need to own our humanity and basically do what we're good at. Or as I say, practice your strengths and be aware of and control what you're not good at. Or as I say, outsource your weaknesses or at least put controls around them. So really appreciate that uh, that input. So uh, Sean, bumping back to you for Quantum Lean, what would you say the uh, purpose Of
0: the book is the primary reason for quantum lean is to give people a different angle on applying lean to their environment and most importantly to give people a practical and practicable way of getting lean implemented in their environment especially people that don't do mass production because the way lean is explained it's it's often from the standpoint Of someone that's making a million of something. And those principles can be hard to apply when explained that way. And also, uh, you know, Quantum Lean really avoids getting around the idea of value because, you know, you can give these vague injunctions like saying, uh, you know, eliminate waste until only value remains. But what does that really mean? I mean, to me, it never meant anything. And so to me, you know, Quantum Lean talks about let's get rid of time. Let's optimize time for the product and do everything from the standpoint of the product because you get all these conflicts like you were talking about Uh, earlier john you were talking about people want to go off in their direction and do this do that you know let me do it from the standpoint of the resource let me do it from the standpoint of the company the customer whatever but if you do everything from the standpoint of the of the product you get a consistent frame of reference and you can get consistent results so it's a great simplifier do it around the product do it around time you don't have to wrestle with eight wastes or and you know funny enough i i think it was shingo he's not shingo but uh, actually uh gosh you know I'm, I'm trying to think of the founder of the Toyota production system. Help me out, please. I'm trying to. Ono. Ono. Oh, no. Yeah, Taiichi Ono. Thank you. Taichi Ono said that there are about 400 wastes, and who wants to mm-hmm. wrestle with that? But if you just wrestle with time from the viewpoint of the product, it's one thing. So, again, practical, practicable, simple. That's the idea.
2: I am in love with the fact that you couldn't rattle that name off the top of your head. That means so, so much to me. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> as long as I
0: can make you happy, Jake, it's <laughs>
2: As many lean guys as I know would deeming this in oh no that, and you're like, yeah. what's that guy's name? Like, yeah. that well, means so much. Uh, to yeah. me.
0: Well, I think exactly. pre- i think the pressure got to me. You know, I'd say honestly, I would say 99 times out of 100, I could rattle off oh no pretty fast. But it's just I was in a—I was in a brain. You know, I was kind of in this brain fog for a second, so.
1: It's in uh, paragraph 12 of that (laughs) one article that he only published in Amsterdam that you can't get anymore, but I have a copy in my basement that he autographed for me. Well, wow. um, Where he said, (laughs) yeah, Um, I really love that about um, quantum lean. I think that's why it spoke to me. So um, I'm going to branch off a little bit into like personality, psychology, you know, stuff like that. Um, A little bit about me. I'm very uh, hands-on um, kind of guy um, I can I can be cerebral I read books you know stuff like that but all of my apprehension and learning comes from doing and I remember when I was a little I was six years old and I wanted Legos now the Legos that I wanted was uh, space right I don't I don't know if they make I'm sure they don't make these legos anymore but you know they had the little helmets with the visor which back then was like a really big deal um bright colors you know red and blue uniforms you know like star trek or something and yeah that's what i wanted so my dad went out and bought me a technic lego set because my dad has a master's degree in physics and um, he just couldn't stand the idea of his kid playing with something fun and colorful so he got me, he got me an engineering toy instead, um, and so I had this little kit and it had some wheels and axles and stuff. And I made this uh, basic frame with two axles and wheels. And I was like, "Hey, Dad, look at this." Dad was like, "Well, that's no good. The wheels don't turn." And I was like, "Well, damn it!" So I went back and I changed it so the front axle turned like on a wagon. Mm-hmm. Right? And I brought it back. and I was like, look, it turns now. He was like, yeah, but it's going to tip over in the corners. You need each wheel to turn independently. I was like, well, I mean, at what point are you going to be happy? Mm -hmm. Well, the kit came with rack and pinion steering parts, which I figured out. um, Did not have instructions, but I did have the parts. And I was just thinking in my mind, how can I get each wheel to turn? Uh-huh. I'm not you know I they have to have an axle because I can't put something down through the top of the tire you know uh-huh. so I'm thinking through all this as a, as a kid eventually figure it out and you know now I have like thousands of Technic Legos don't tell anybody but if you know anybody wants to get me something for Christmas uh-huh. tens, um, of uh-huh. <laughs> tens of thousands tens of thousands but um, you know that's how I've always learned and that's how I learned lean was actually doing and actually running sites and uh-huh. working with you know, real people. And, you know, not everybody is going to be the same as me. I recognize that. Right. But that's what really, I think why the book resonated with me is it's so practical and it really just kind of immediately jumps to, you can do this right now and get results and following the product, you know, whether that product is a physical product you're manufacturing or like in the case of healthcare, it's the patient, right? Right. Um, It's kind of like a paradigm shift for folks that haven't thought about it before. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like this thing is going all the way through the process. If I want to improve that or improve my efficiencies, this is where to be, right? Follow that thing all the way through
2: I just want to say, if I knew of a project that gained my father's approval, I don't know that John and I would be friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a backstory there, Sean. Uh, oh no, don't, well, don't yeah. worry about that.
0: Well, no, no, I get you, but yeah, hey, common ground, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it's not it's not my story to tell, but okay. uh, if you listen to enough content, you'll start to get the the picture of uh, <laughs> Jake's very
0: dysfunctional and and fractured existence. Well, well, right, right. (laughs) Jake is is a unique person for sure.
2: Let me ask the spicy question I have to ask every lean guy. How much time do you spend with design of experiments?
0: Boy, well, let's think about this. This may sound crazy, but there was actually a company just like a month ago that I was using design of experiments with, if you can believe it. Well, but, all right. But here's but here's the thing. I'd say percentage-wise, it's pretty low. It's got to be a sweet spot for it to be applicable. The, the irony that when I was doing design of experiments, because I had a very strong, long story short, this was a company that was making uh, like coils for like uh, basically industrial coolers. But the interesting thing, the thing I was seeing there, I was thinking, you know, I have a strong suspicion this is going to be something very simple that's causing this. But I was still giving them a background in it because, long story short, I think that they can do like what's called evolutionary operation and optimize their process. But as it turned out, it was flux. They just got a batch of garbage flux. And that's why they were getting the results. Once they changed their flux, everything just really shot up. And they were getting really good uh, yield rates. But yeah, there are occasions where design of experiments, I think is very good. But like you say, Jake, it's gotta be a very narrow window, you know. If you're
2: listening to this episode and you think design of experience is used more than 5% of the time, send me your address. I will come and fight you in the street.
0: <laughs> I don't know, did I say more than 5% or? No, I'm just saying if somebody okay, yeah. out there
2: listening to us is yeah. more than 5%, I will come. Yeah. Yeah. we will get into fisticuffs because it oh, just right. does not
0: exist well right it's got to be like to me like i worked uh you know before i was doing consulting i worked at a diecast plant it's actually very useful at that diecast plant believe it or not but uh but yeah to a large degree yeah it doesn't really help that much yeah i agree with you
1: so well i've used it um probably the most in context where i had more data than i had facts if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. um and speaking of, we had a very large uh, fab side. So mm-hmm. it was die casting, stamping, um, drilling, tapping, you know, yeah. the whole, whole nine yards, pretty big. But yeah. their customer was in the same building or an, an add on building um, assembly side. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think, the only examples of where I've used DOE was actually that plan. Yeah. And I remember uh, we were, uh, running a design of experiment project and the like senior VP of quality and CI came in you know to visit the site and he was like hey Thacker, how's the DOA experiment going
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like well, yeah I... well <laughs> it's, it's literally dead on arrival well well it, it, it's like the diecast plant that I worked at. DOA was a very good operative term, and I won't go into the reason why it was DOA. But there was a very exact, specific reason, and it's in the book. There's actually a sidebar about that very situation why it was DOA, and uh, and it, it it's it's a very human condition that caused it to be DOA. And that, well, and this is another interesting thing when I'm like, let's say if I'm conducting classes, you know, teaching sessions, there there's a certain group of people that will immediately know why the design of experiments was DOA. I just give it kind of as a riddle. And if, if I'm dealing with technicians, you know, guys that actually have to troubleshoot a problem in the real world, they immediately say what it is instantly. Everybody else is going, wow, that makes, you know, cause I explain, you know, there was a design, uh, Jake, you may or may not know about this, John, you may or may not know, but I explained a situation in the book where uh, the design of experiments was run and it reduced the scrap rate in half at this diecast plant and the plant manager wasn't remotely interested in pursuing it. And then I'd say to the group, why? And like, I'd say nine out of 10 groups don't know, but if they're technicians, they immediately know why, you know, and it's kind of, it, I think it's, yeah, if you have a certain type of mindset, you can just get to the root problem real fast, you
2: know? Well, the the beautiful, beautiful thing there, if I can yeah. share a story between John and I's yeah. past, and, yeah. is people's behavior will immediately communicate what's in, what's out like yeah. immediately. And yeah. we happen to work in a place where improving absolutely everything was in the out category. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And so we went back and constructed a how to not change anything mm-hmm. but still have directional improvement. Mm-hmm. And that would go on to be like one of the most impactful things I've ever been a part of and mm-hmm. something that John's offering to companies around the world today.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's... Yeah.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat>
1: Excuse me, guys. If he survived long
2: enough to talk about huh.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm thinking of an instance where Mr. Harrell had an idea to 100% eliminate one specific type of defect. 100%. Yeah. Um, it was a human error defect, and this was a Poco-Yoke approach. Right. Now, the cost of this, uh, if, if you took into account, like the labor and stuff like that. And the salary, you know, I, I don't play monopoly money like that unless I have to, because some Mm -hmm. companies, you know, you have to justify everything, but I'm like, this guy's already getting paid. He's on your payroll. I'm not counting that Mm -hmm. as an expense, but even all in, we're talking about like 500 bucks, you know, less Mm -hmm. than a thousand dollars, right. To 100% eliminate this one defect. Mm -hmm. And it was completely ignored Mm -hmm. by management. It was now, we're not, we're not doing that. We have something sexier. Uh-huh. We're going to get, um, you know, some like cameras and uh-huh. AI. And uh-huh. It's going to catch this stuff, you know, and it, the solution we propose, we can do it this weekend. Uh-huh. We are not going inter- to interrupt production. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the hardest part is like getting on a sky lift and like putting some stuff up in the ceiling, you know? Uh-huh. Well, that goes back to the human element, right? Yeah.
2: Um, and how many millions would that 500 bucks have saved?
1: Yeah. Like yeah. like a a, a, Like it's yeah. a six-figure solution. Yeah. Right. right. Um, by the way, that whole uh, camera system thing we're talking about, it never worked out. It was us. DOA. I, it was absolutely it was DOA. DOA.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you, you didn't have to tell me that. and I don't think <laughs> you even had to tell your audience that. I mean, when you start bringing in like massive complication and sophistication, you're kind of going, It's not gonna make it, you know. The best
2: part was people would regularly, regardless of what change you wanted to make, well the cameras are coming. That's gonna solve everything. Uh Well the cameras are coming. Yeah. And so don't don't get better now because best (laughs) is coming eventually one day.
1: Yep. Isn't that what happened to uh George Armstrong Custer?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well the cavalry's coming. Yeah. Relax, guys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're
1: coming. Right. Yeah. Um we are coming up on the end of our time together, Sean. We're so okay. thrilled you could join us today.
0: Okay, for uh, I appreciate that. Me, I'm I'm thrilled likewise. So,
1: yeah, thanks so much uh, for our listeners out there. Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh,
0: like, I'm part of a nonprofit organization that's called Beehive Fund, and again we're a nonprofit organization that works with companies on issues like workforce development and also you know streamlining production becoming more competitive and uh we you can go to our website that is Fund one word dot o-r-g and you can contact me at s dot fields f-i-e-l-d-s at beehivefund and you can also contact michael uh, he His email is Michael at beehivefund.org.
1: Awesome. I will go ahead and put that uh, down below for folks. Um, okay So they can get in touch with you and of course you're on uh, LinkedIn as well. and you know, let's talk uh, offline about Beehive fund and you know maybe we can do an episode on on Beehive as well. So that'd be great. Well, thanks for joining us, Sean. Great conversation. Um, the book is quantum lean. I will also have a link uh, for it down here. Thanks so much for joining us and Michael glad that he could join us for a little bit Uh from all of us, all of you out there in YouTube land. Goodbye.
0: Thank you. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, the primary reason for quantum lean is to give people a different angle on applying lean to their environment. And most importantly, to give people a practical and practicable way of getting lean implemented in their environment, especially people that don't do mass production. Because the way lean is explained, it's, it's often from the standpoint of someone that's making a million of something. And those principles can be hard to apply when explained that way. And also, uh, you know, Quantum Lean really avoids getting around the idea of value because, you know, you can give these vague injunctions like saying, uh, you know, eliminate waste until only value remains. But what does that really mean? I mean, to me, it never meant anything. And so to me, you know, Quantum Lean talks about let's get rid of time. Let's optimize time for the product and do everything from the standpoint of the product because you get all these conflicts like you were talking about. Uh, earlier john you were talking about people want to go off in their direction and do this do that you know let me do it from the standpoint of the resource let me do it from the standpoint of the company the customer whatever but if you do everything from the standpoint of the of the product you get a consistent frame of reference and you can get consistent results so it's a great simplifier do it around the product do it around time you don't have to wrestle with eight wastes or and you know funny enough i i think it was shingo he's not shingo but uh, actually uh gosh you know I'm, I'm trying to think of the founder of the Toyota production system. Help me out, please. I'm trying to. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah, Taiichi Ono. Thank you. Taiichi Ono said that there are about 400 wastes, and who wants to mm-hmm. wrestle with that? But if you just wrestle with time from the viewpoint of the product, it's one thing. So again, practical, practicable, simple. That's the idea.
2: I am in love with the fact that you couldn't rattle that name off the top of your head. That means so, so much to me. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate
0: it. As long as I can make you happy, Jake. It's but, yeah.
2: As many lean guys as I know would deeming this in Oh No That. And you're like, yeah. what's that guy's name? Like, yeah. That means well, so much to uh, me. Yeah.
0: Well, I think exactly. that's pr- I think the pressure got to me, you know, I'd say, honestly, I would say 99 times out of a hundred, I could rattle off. Oh no, pretty fast. But it's just, I was in a, I was in a brain, I was kind of in this brain fog for a second. So.
1: It's in uh, paragraph 12 of that (laughs) one article that he only published in Amsterdam that you can't get anymore, but I have a copy in my basement that he autographed for me Well, um, where he said, (laughs) yeah. Um, I really love that about um, quantum lean. I think that's why it spoke to me. So um, I'm going to branch off a little bit into like personality, psychology, you know, stuff like that. Um, a little bit about me. I'm very uh, hands-on um, kind of guy. Um, I, can, I can be cerebral. I read books, you know, stuff like that. But all of my apprehension and learning comes from, doing and i remember when i was a little i was six years old and i wanted legos now the legos that i wanted was uh, space right i don't i don't know if they make i'm sure they don't make these legos anymore but you know they had the little helmets with the visor which back then was like a really big deal um bright colors you know red and blue uniforms you know like star trek or something and yeah that's what i wanted so my dad went out and bought me a technic lego set because my dad has a master's degree in physics and um, he just couldn't stand the idea of his kid playing with something fun and colorful right. so he got me he got me an engineering toy instead um, and so I had this little kit and it had some wheels and axles and stuff and I made this uh, basic frame with two axles and wheels and I was like hey yeah. dad look at this that was like well that's no good the wheels don't turn and I was like well damn it so I went back and changed it. So the front axle turned like on a wagon. Mm-hmm. Right? And I brought it back and I was like, look, it turns now. He was like, yeah, but it's going to tip over in the corners. You need each wheel to turn independently. I was like, well, I mean, at what point are you going to be happy? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, the kit came with rack and pinion steering parts, which I figured out, um, mm-hmm. did not have instructions, but I did have the parts. And I was just thinking in my mind, how can I get each wheel to turn? I'm not, you know, I, they have to have an axle. Cause I can't put something down through the top of the tire, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking through all this as a, as a kid, eventually figure it out. And, you know, now I have like thousands of Technic Legos. Don't tell anybody, but if, you know, anybody wants to get me something for Christmas, <laughs> tens, um, of <laughs> tens of thousands, tens of thousands. But, um, you know, that's how I've always learned. And that's how I learned lean was actually doing and actually running sites and working mm-hmm. with, you know, real people. And, you know, not everybody is going to be the same as me. I recognize that. Right. But that's what really, I think why the book resonated with me is it's so practical and it really just kind of immediately jumps to, you can do this right now and get results and following the product, you know, whether that Uh, product is a physical product you're manufacturing or like in the case of healthcare it's the patient right right um it's kind of like a paradigm shift for folks that haven't thought about it before wait a minute yeah that's exactly right like this thing is going all the way through the process if i want to improve that or improve my efficiencies this is where to be right follow that thing all the way through
2: I just want to say, if I knew of a project that gained my father's approval, I don't know that John and I would be friends.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a backstory there, Sean. Uh, oh no, don't oh, don't yeah. worry about that.
0: Well, oh, no, no, I get you, but yeah, hey, common ground, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's not it's not my story to tell, but okay. uh, if you listen to enough content, you'll start to get the the picture of of Jake's very dysfunctional and and fractured
0: existence. Oh, well, right, right. (laughs) Jake is is a unique person for sure.
2: Let me ask the spicy question I have to ask every lean guy. How much time do you spend with design of experiments?
0: Boy, well, let's think about this. This may sound crazy, but there was actually a company just like a month ago that i was using design of experiments with if you can believe it
2: well but, all right
0: but here's but here's the thing i'd say percentage wise it's pretty low it's got to be a sweet spot for it to be applicable the the irony that when i was doing design of experiments because i had a very strong long story short this was a company that was making uh, like coils for like uh, basically industrial coolers but the interesting thing, the thing I was seeing there, I was thinking, you know, I have a strong suspicion this is going to be something very simple that's causing this. But I was still giving them a background in it because, I'm, long story short, I think that they can do like what's called evolutionary operation and optimize their process. But as it turned out, it was flux. They just got a batch of garbage flux, and that's why they were getting their results. Once they changed their flux, everything just really shot up, and they were getting really good results. Uh, yield rates but yeah there are occasions where design of experiments I think is very good but like you say Jake it's got to be a very narrow window you
2: know if you're listening to this episode and you think design of experience is used more than five percent of the time send me your address I will come and fight you in the street
0: <laughs> I don't know did I say more than five percent no I'm just saying if somebody okay, yeah. out
2: there listening to us is yeah. more than five percent, I will come yeah. Yeah. we will get into fisticuffs because it oh, just right. does not exist
0: well right it's got to be like to me like i worked uh you know before i was doing consulting i worked at a diecast plant it's actually very useful at that diecast plant believe it or not but uh but yeah to a large degree yeah it doesn't really help that much yeah i agree with you
1: so well i've used it um probably the most in context where i had more data than i had facts if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. um and speaking of, we had a very large uh, fab side, so mm-hmm. it was die casting, stamping, um, drilling, tapping, you know, yeah. the whole, whole nine yards, pretty big. But yeah. their customer was in the same building or an, an add-on building um, assembly side, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I think the only examples of where I've used DOE was actually that plant. Yeah. And I remember uh, we were, uh, running a design of experiment project and the like senior VP of quality and CI came in, you know, to visit the site and he was like, hey, Thacker, how's the DOA experiment going?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, well, yeah, I...
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's literally dead on arrival. Well, well it, it, it's like the diecast plant that I worked at. DOA was a very good operative term and I won't go into the reason why it was DOA, but there was a very exact specific reason. And it's in the book. There's actually a sidebar about that very situation, why it was DOA. And, uh, and it, it, it's, it's a very human condition that caused it to be DOA and that, well, and this is another interesting thing when I'm like, let's say if I'm conducting classes, you know, teaching sessions, there, there's a certain group of people that will immediately know why the design of experiments was DOA. I just give it kind of as a riddle, and if if I'm dealing with technicians, you know, guys that actually have to troubleshoot a problem in the real world, they immediately say what it is instantly. Everybody else is going, "Wow, that makes," you know, because I explain, you know, there was a design. Uh, Jake, you may or may not know about this. John, you may or may not know, but I explain a situation in the book where uh, the design of experiments was run and it reduced the scrap rate in half. At this diecast plant, and the plant manager wasn't remotely interested in pursuing it. And then I'd say to the group, "Why?" And like I'd say, nine out of ten groups don't know, but if they're technicians, they immediately know why. You know, and it's kind of it, I think it's uh, yeah, if you have a certain type of mindset, you can just get to the root problem real fast you
2: know? well the the beautiful beautiful thing there if i can yeah. share a story between john and i's yeah. past and yeah. is people's behavior will immediately communicate what's in what's out like yeah. immediately and yeah. we happen to work in a place where improving absolutely everything was in the out category
0: <laughs> yeah yeah right
2: yeah. and so we went back and constructed a how to not change anything but still have directional improvement. And that would go on to be like one of the most impactful things I've ever been a part of and something that John's offering to companies around the world today.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's...
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. If he
2: survived long enough to talk about it. Huh.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm thinking of an instance where Mr. Harrell had an idea to... One hundred percent eliminate one specific type of defect. One hundred percent. Yeah, um, it was a human error defect, and this was a poco Yoke approach. Right. Now, the cost of this, uh, if if you took into account like the labor and stuff like that and the salary, you know, I I don't play monopoly money like that unless I have to, because some mm-hmm. companies, you know, you have to justify everything. But I'm like, this guy's already getting paid; he's on your payroll. I'm not counting that right. as an expense, but Right. even all in we're talking about like 500 bucks you know less uh-huh. than a thousand dollars right uh-huh. to 100% eliminate this one defect
2: uh-huh.
1: and it was completely ignored uh-huh. by management it was now we're not we're not doing that we have something sexier
2: uh-huh.
1: we're gonna get um, you know some like cameras and uh-huh. AI and uh-huh. it's gonna catch this stuff you know and it, the solution we propose, we can do it this weekend. Uh-huh. We are not going inter- to interrupt production. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the hardest part is like getting on a sky lift and like putting some stuff up in the ceiling. You know, uh-huh. well, that goes back to the human element, right? Yeah. Um,
2: and how many millions would that five hundred bucks have saved? Yeah,
1: like, yeah. like millions. Like it's yeah. a six-figure solution, yeah. right? Right. Um. By the way, that whole uh,
0: camera system thing we're talking about, it never worked out. It was DOA. I, it was absolutely you know, DOA. Well, I mean, you, you didn't have to tell me that. And I don't think you even had to tell your audience that. I mean, when you start bringing in like massive complication and sophistication, you're kind of going, it's not going to make it, you know. And the
2: best part was people would regularly, regardless of what change you wanted to make, yeah. well, the cameras are coming. That's going to solve yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, the cameras yeah. are coming, yeah. and so don't don't get better now because best yeah. is coming eventually. Yeah, right. One day.
1: Yep. Isn't that what happened to uh, George Armstrong Custer?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the cavalry's go.
1: coming. <laughs> yeah. Relax, guys.
0: We're, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: they're coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, we are. Coming up on the end of our time together, Sean, we're so okay. thrilled you could join us today.
0: Okay, for uh, I appreciate that. Me, I'm I'm thrilled likewise. So,
1: yeah, thanks so much uh, for our listeners out there. Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh,
0: like, I'm part of a nonprofit organization that's called Beehive Fund, and again we're a nonprofit organization that works with companies on issues like workforce development and also you know streamlining production becoming more competitive and uh we you can go to our website that is Fund one word dot o-r-g and you can contact me at s dot fields f-i-e-l-d-s at beehivefund and you can also contact michael Uh, he, his email is Michael at beehivefund.org.
1: Awesome. I will go ahead and put that uh, down below for folks. Um, so they can get in touch with you. And of course you're on uh, LinkedIn as well. And, you know, let's talk, uh, offline about beehive fund and, you know, maybe we can do an episode on, on
0: beehive as well. So that'd be great.
1: Well, thanks for joining us, Sean. Great conversation. Um, The book is Quantum Lean. I will also have a link uh, for it down here. Thanks so much for joining us. And Michael, glad that he could join us for a little bit. Uh From all of us, all of you out there in YouTube land,
0: goodbye.